News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Macias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change that our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Welcome to Episode 7 of the Luke Macias Show. This is Luke Macias. Today, we have a conversation with Michael Quinn Sullivan. I was very honored that he was willing to sit down with us for over an hour to discuss several very important topics. Um, you're going to get to hear today about Michael's background. Any of you who have witnessed his patriotism should not be surprised to learn that he is a fighting Texas Aggie and was a member of the Texas A&M Corps of Cadets. But you also get to learn about his background in journalism before entering politics and then what got him engaged in the fight, a little bit of the history about the type of impact Empower Texans has had on the legislative process. And then we also get to dive into this legislative session. So for those of you who are watching this legislative session, which I hope you are, you should be looking uh, for what type of expectations conservatives are supposed to have going into the legislative session. We have less than 90 days left. And the question we're asking ourselves is, will the Republican majority in the House and Senate and our Republican leadership in every statewide position try to accomplish and advance a limited government agenda. And so Michael and I get a chance to talk about that as well as the 2020 elections in November, um, the concerns that we should have and the need that we have to get out and fight and focus on Texas going into 2020. We also get a chance, and this is towards the end of the conversation, probably 30, 40 minutes in, but I would really encourage each of you to listen to the section about the Texas Ethics Commission. Empower Texans has been the tip of the spear when it comes to the battle of the Texas Ethics Commission and the tyrannical reign that they have tried to, uh, it, you know, really enact over Texas. And so um, I think Michael goes into that. And for us to understand that we have a rogue agency and bureaucracy here in the state of Texas that is trying to use the power of government to suppress free speech and to bully conservative organizations. Michael uh, has been taking that them to task and has been taking that battle on and it's something we should all be grateful for. So outside of the other topics, I think you should really take a listen to the Texas Ethics Commission and then reach out to your legislators and talk to them about what you can do and what they can do to address that issue. That being said, let's listen to a very quick message from our sponsor and then we'll get right into the conversation with Michael Quinn Sullivan. Guys, our sponsor for today's show is Patriot Academy, patriotacademy.com. You have heard me talk about this organization, but um, this truly is, for many students, a life-altering event. Um, I cannot tell you how many 16, 17, 18, 20, 25 year olds that have gone to this leadership program and come out with a, an entirely new direction for their life. You can go to patriotacademy.com to find out where they do these events, but essentially they take these students and they go through a week of being a legislator. They actually debate in the in the Texas House of Representatives, in the uh, Delaware House of Representatives, Idaho House of Representatives. It's an incredible experience. I have been involved with them. I believe in what they do. In fact, if you contact them and tell them that you heard about them through the Luke Macias show, I will contribute toward your uh, fee of actually attending. If you know a student that needs to go, that needs direction for their life, they're going to have an opportunity to learn about worldview, about free market economics, about the values that hold society together. And they're going to have an opportunity to be equipped to be a part of making the change that our community, our state, our nation need. So patriotacademy.com, we're grateful for their willingness to sponsor this podcast. And we also want to encourage each and every one of you to check them out. Please do so today. 
Welcome to the Luke Macias Show. This is your host, Luke Macias, with my esteemed guest, Michael Quinn Sullivan. Michael, how are you doing today? Uh, doing great. Thank you. So as a brief introduction, I'm going to read the one paragraph found on the Empower Texans website about who Michael Sullivan is. For those of you who don't know, I'm sure most of you do, but a fifth generation Texan, Michael Quinn Sullivan is the CEO of Empower Texans. The Fort Worth Star-Telegram said Sullivan slays taxpayer dragons in Austin. When the heat is on in Austin, Michael Quinn Sullivan knows how to make it even hotter. Texas Monthly dubbed him the enforcer on their list of 25 most influential Texans. And the Dallas Morning News has called him the state's most influential unelected Republican. I would say that that means that we are very privileged to have a conversation with him today. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thanks. I, I appreciate Whenever your opponents uh, say what they think might be passingly positive things, which is usually good to, to recheck everything you've ever done in your life. <laughs> it okay. is. It is. Um, well, Michael, I wanted to start the conversation off just by you having an opportunity to give our listeners um, a little bit of your background. What brings you to the point that you're at today as the CEO of Empower Texans? Where did you start? At what point did you think you might be interested in trying to affect the political process in some way? And how did that play itself out? Um, I, I think I can honestly say that you know, wh where I am today is a there's a direct tie to right out of Texas A and M. Um, I was a newspaper reporter, had very little interest in um, in state government and, and what, government. What did general. you study yeah. at A and uh, I, I basically shined my shoes in the Corps Cadets and Aggie Band, and uh, my parents were pretty sure that was the only thing I was going to have was how to have <laughs> nicely shined shoes. Um, I did study English and economics. Economics and Got British it. history, meaning I am mostly unemployable. Got it. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. my dad was in the Corps of Cadets. That's right. Um, yep. And so, no, definitely, uh, at least there was some good part of your education, at least from yeah. my understanding of the Corps. So yeah. so then you went straight from there into journalism. Yeah, I went into journalism and uh, had very, um, again, I, I wasn't overly interested in governance. Yeah, okay. I mean, you know, when you're you know, a young kid in college writing for the school paper, occasionally yeah. about political things. Um, but the um, uh, but as a newspaper, you know, someone getting paid as a reporter, the idea of uh, writing about city councils and state legislatures and members of Congress wasn't overly exciting to me. I was much more interested in the, in the crime beat, um, kind of you know, general lifestyle stuff. Yeah. Um, those kind of things were more interesting to me. But I got kind of thrown into, um, uh, literally, because the reporter who was covering uh, local government died. Yep. Yep. Um, I got thrown into covering local government. And, and and I got and I was shocked showing up the first city council meeting where they were talking about the city's budget and they were doing various things. And I was the only one there <laughs> yep. who, who wasn't being paid by the city yep. or had the honorable in front of their name. And, and that, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I can look back at that as the time I was truly horrified of, yep. oh my goodness, you know, what, you know, what, 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 what is happening to our country, to our, you know, yep. if the people aren't involved and engaged, we're and really... And when, when would this have been? The uh, this 1940? Been like, yeah. 19... Oh, wow. <laughs> Man, like a okay. knife through the heart. Okay. Uh, yeah, this would have been uh, 1990, uh, 1993, 1992. Okay. And did you always work for one paper? No, I first worked for the Denison Herald, okay. which no longer exists. Got it. Um, and then uh, with the Don Ray News Service um, and then Southern Newspapers and then the 
Brazosport facts Got it. Uh, down in the on the Gulf Coast. Um, now, by the time I went to the Brazosport facts, I was firmly a a, a political reporter. Got it. Um, covering uh, covering the state capitol, covering the legislature. Okay. Um, and uh, and it, 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 it's been very fascinating over these years now to kind of watch and you know, kind of uh, back and forth. Um, uh, what what has and hasn't changed in state government, <laughs> yep. and uh, you know so sometimes the parties change, but the faces stay the same. Yep. So you know those kind of things. So so your time in journalism, and then what was the transition from then? You know from that, and when was that? Yeah. So in uh, 1995, uh, uh, a fellow was looking to run for Congress in um, in Lake Jackson, um, where I was living at the time, and uh, Ron Paul. Everyone yep. now knows who Ron Paul is. Only yep. who Ron Paul was at the time. Time, um, I, the contract with America had just happened. Okay, and um, as I'm, you know, at, at this point, you know, all of my reading, everything was kind of consumed with, you know, you know, the, the history of governance and politics, yep. and the, um, and as I'm listening to the contract, uh, contract with America in 1994, I'm thinking. And they, you know, some of these things seem somewhat familiar. Where do they start from? So I wrote a, uh, you know, a series looking at the contract, contract with America, and what I discovered was that eight of the ten items had been introduced by this uh, uh, congressman, hmm. physician uh, from Brazoria County back in the late hmm. 70s, early 80s, named Ron Paul. I thought, oh, well, I'm going to track this guy down. Ended yep. up um, uh, getting to know him. So yep. when he decided to run for Congress in the 96 cycle, okay. which had been 1995, made the decision. He asked me to come work for him. I thought, ah, this guy has no chance of winning. You know, he's, so what was he writing in the so in the eighties? Was he writing that as a congressman? Yeah, I, I can't sorry, remember yeah, his. Yeah, yeah. he was a member. Path. He was a member of Congress from seventy eight to eighty four. Got it. And, and so these are things that he introduced as yep. a member of Congress, um, and uh, and said you know, there was actual legislative history behind those things. Yep. And um, so I went to work for him um, as his press secretary. Pretty certain he wouldn't win. Yep. You know, I think, but yep. this would be a good experience, yep. kind of see. And, and I was very upfront with him. I wanted to do it so I could be a better reporter. Yep. Um, I wanted to be able to kind of see what the inside was yep. like, knowing yep. I wouldn't be able to work where I had been working. Yeah. You know, kind of once you, you know, yep. mess, mess the waters there. But I could move on somewhere else and yep. go back to being a political reporter. Um, and, and then lo and behold, uh, Dr. Paul won. Yep. Uh, so my wife and I moved up to Washington D.C. Okay. Um, uh, worked for him for a couple of years. Got really sick and tired in the late yep. '90s of being around Congress and all that stuff. Well, there's another place that hasn't changed much. Another place that is resistant to to change. Yeah. I was talking to a congressman this week who uh, has formally spent some time elected uh, in the Texas legislature and uh, spent some time in local politics, and uh, we were. I was just hearing all of the vast differences. You know, we think the Texas legislature is um, inept because it often is. Um, and then you compare it to Washington, D.C., and you're like, wow, we have a lot of ineptness that we could catch up to if we really oh. wanted to find out how to not run a legislative body. I mean, they make us look like geniuses in the Texas legislature. It, when, it can get worse. Oh, yes. It can no. get worse. And I think yeah. it, it gave me just a hint of gratitude, which was probably quickly uh, wiped away by <laughs> one of the big government bills that got filed that day in the Texas legislature. So, uh, okay, so so you work with Ron Paul up in D.C., and then you come back yeah, from so there. Yes, um, uh, yeah, so I'd uh, interim stint a think tank up there, um, Texas Public Policy Foundation, um, was looking for someone to yep. be the Austin office. Uh, the Got organization it. been based in San Antonio uh, for a long time, uh, since its inception, uh, more yep. than a decade at that point. Um, and they asked if I'd be interested in coming 
mm-hmm. to work in Austin. I thought oh, that sounds 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 great. Get back to get mm-hmm. back to you know Austin isn't isn't in Texas, but it's really close to Texas. <laughs> is the way I like to talk. Yeah. But you know you can see Texas out of a lot of high high building windows if you're in Austin. Um, but you know, to be closer to Texas yes. than in Washington D.C. Um, came back and uh, you know very fortunate to get to be at TPPF. I enjoyed mm-hmm. the time there. Ended up serving as the vice president of the organization. Okay. And in uh, 2006 is when we started Empower Texans. And so right before that, with your time at TPPF, I mean, what was TPPF at the time compared to what it is? now i mean the size of it oh yeah so um uh at 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 the low point uh tbpf um was uh brooke rollins the president myself and i think we had one and a half other employees okay um you know and you know with shoestring budget and not sure if we were going to pay rent and get paid you know all those kind of questions um uh, to today they are 50 uh, 50 mm-hmm. some employees yep. uh, with an office in Washington, D.C., a big fancy yep. building downtown, all yep. that kind of stuff, the multi million dollar budget. Uh, so it's a very different enterprise. So um, remind me, and I think most people don't know, is you know, what, what spurned you on to starting Empower Texas in 2006? What was the motivating factors around your belief in the need to start an organization like Empower Texans? Yeah, so what we saw, um, you, know, you got to remember in 2006, I mean, I'm sure this is shocking to everyone, but in 2006, uh, 2005, 2006, there was all this discussion about school finance. Yeah. And, um, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure everyone's shocked to hear that that was, a, that was an issue back then. Um, uh, but, but Michael, I, I'm pretty yeah. sure that after this legislative se- se- session, there will never be any other conversation, I'm, right? I, I mean, am, we're I'm sure we're almost on the cusp now of solving the problem. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Later, so, I yeah. mean, those will be the year. You know, I'm thinking a decade from now, we'll be talking about those years past when we used to talk about when school we used finance. To buy school That's right. Okay. Oh, we, we can dare to dream. So, so school finances. In what are you drinking in that coffee mug, there, young man? <laughs> um, so, as the um, uh, so we're watching the process play out, and what we're saying is, you know, here's Texas Public Policy Foundation. We've got all these great ideas about ways to address school finance, how to yep. deal with revenues and the legislators are thinking oh how can we bring in more money um and 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 kind of the idea that hit us was you know yes you know there's this great saying that the conservative think tank world pledged from victor hugo which goes something like nothing is more powerful than an idea whose time has come Mm -hmm. and what what we learned was Everything is more powerful than a good idea whose time has come that um that it real ideas don't matter Mm -hmm. unless People are involved and engaged, mm-hmm. um, and that what what we tried doing a little bit of an ad hoc um, uh, way there um, in 2006, we started Empower Texans mm-hmm. legally separate from TPPF, yep. uh, done as a again as an ad hoc project. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Tim Dunn, who's the vice chairman of the board at TPPF, kind mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, I think he stood still and everyone else took a step back when mm-hmm. the question of hey, who would be willing to kind of try to do this thing, which yep. would be to bring citizens into the mix about yep. some of the aspects of the of the school reform, yep. um, uh, school finance reform stuff going on at that time. Um, so Empower Texans was launched, moved the dial a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we moved the dial enough to see, oh, well, gosh, if you, if you get citizens involved, maybe that's when legislators will start listening yep. to policy ideas. Yep. Uh, so that's where, where it started. So um, after um, after that uh, special session in 2006 that ended up producing the horrific business tax, the yep. um, uh, this business franchise tax, the gross margins tax, they call mm-hmm. it, um, uh, that TBPF and 
empower Texans, time no one really knew what yep. it was. Um, we're the only ones really opposing it. I think NFIB, sort of a pro-national mm-hmm. federation independent, sort of opposed it. Um, and everyone else, well, hey, if it's more money, it yep. must be good. And, uh, yep. well, anyway, we diff- different topic for a different day. Um, but we'd say, well, we moved the dial a little bit. And so um, I, I got traded like a uh, you know like an aging uh, aging lineman by uh, two NFL um, yep. uh, you know, owners, and was um, uh, left Texas Public Policy Foundation to become the first president of Empower Texans. Yep, and uh, we really kicked off uh, formally and professionally, yep. if you will, at the end of 2006, going to that 2007 legislative session with a. Myself and uh, a guy who was about a three-quarters time yep. um, employee who was also a student at UT yep. um, and decided, hey, let's go change the world. And <laughs> we've really succeeded in ticking people off around well, Lone Star State. if you fast forward, I mean, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, was it 2011 or 2013 where you had the um, you know infamous, was it Steve Ogden at the time, Senator from College Station that talked about how the people had invaded the Senate chamber and- Oh, um, yeah. One of my favorite, uh, favorite quotes that um, it was it was so horrible having these, uh, having all these outside groups yes. uh, invading the legislature. How dare they engage and talk about what the legislature is doing? And, and, and his complaint was because he was having a harder time spending the money that he wanted to spend. That's I mean, right. at, at the end of the yeah. day, right? I mean, this was not a disagreement on what exactly the money should get spent on. It was a disagreement on how much money should be spent by a legislative body. You know, I um, have talked to numerous members of the Appropriations Committee and the Senate Finance Committee over the last several legislative sessions. And they will tell you that, uh, and I think Matt Schaefer had a tweet about this just this last week or two weeks ago uh, when he he, um, kind of sarcastically said, you know, for my, in my first two weeks serving on the Texas Appropriations Committee, I have not been approached by one person and asked uh, to be given less money than they got two years ago. <laughs> I'm shocked, you yeah, know. Shocking, and shocking. and it's interesting because I was listening to actually on my way here, which is kind of funny. I was listening to um, the Point of Order podcast by Evan Smith, where he was interviewing the. Uh, the chancellor of the University of Houston. And he was asking her, because, you know, and and I think the case that he was making as well as she was making, in fact, they were both kind of making the case that higher education needs more money. Surprise, surprise. And so you had two people saying, higher education needs more money, higher education needs more money, here's all the reasons. And he asked her, well, do you, you know, where do you think it should come from? Because if you want more money, it means somebody else not getting more money. And she's like, well, I, I wouldn't, I'd hope they wouldn't cut public education to fund higher education. There's a statement like that. I don't want to put yeah. words in her mouth, but that was basically the statement she made. And um, she said, but my job is to go in and advocate on what we would do with additional resources. And it, at that moment in time, it was just another clarity. I didn't come to any epiphany, but it was the idea that, you know, she's saying, I hope they don't take any money away from anybody else. But my job is to go in and, and let them know what we would do with additional resources, right? Uh, actually, what what she was saying was, I hope they will take more money from the taxpayers. <laughs> yes, you know what what the president of the university or the chancellor, whoever was, uh, mm-hmm. whoever this person was, like every other government bureaucrat, um, their their view is government should always get more. Yeah, and when they say, oh, I don't want money to come from anyone else, what they mean is anyone else in government. They are more than fine with more money being taken from taxpayers. Taxpayers are an ATM machine yep. for the uh, for government. That is the o- the only reason you live and breathe and exist is to is to pump out cash that government bureaucrats can spend. And and I think that is the it, it, there's no greater um, 
clear, I guess, story that to me provides support for the existence of Empowered Texans than that statement right there. Because she's, she's saying, I'm not asking for money to be taken one place or the other. It's my job to say, if you gave us more money, here's what we would do with it. And so you have your appropriations member, subcommittee chairman, whatever you are, finance, and you're... Your schedule is chock full of meetings with people who are just there to tell you what they would do with more money if they had it. Mm -hmm. And nobody walks in and says, hey, I'm a taxpayer, and here's what I would do with more money if you were to take less of my money. Here's what I would do with my money if you took less of it. Like that right. that conversation isn't had right. unless right. there is a and, – and so when – uh, and I'm, I sometimes stop mid-sentence because I have another idea, but when Steve Ogden is sitting on the Senate floor saying, outsiders have invaded the process, mm -hmm. when he's talking about the budget, do you know what he's talking about? He's talking about that conversation. See, right. the right. conversation had never happened in the Texas Senate before where somebody had said, hey, if you give me more of my money back, if you, don't, if you take less of it, let's just say it that way, if you take less of my money, here's what I would do. And when that conversation started happening in the legislature, guess what? It became harder to spend the money. Well, I mean, so the, uh, we, we maintain in politics that the fight is never the fight. The fight is actually what the fight is about. Absolutely. All right. And so that to the extent that, uh, that someone else is defining the fight, you're always going to lose. Yep. Um, up until Empower Texans launched, and I can't claim much curve of this. This was kind of a group groupthink decision that we made. Um, up until that point in Texas, um, the the more dollars that came in than yep. had been anticipated was referred to as unappropriated revenue. Yes. Meaning, if we'd known it was coming in, we would have spent, spent it. it. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's now been shifted because of Empower Tax, because of the, you know, we came up with this cute little jingle and other things. Um, that that parlance has completely been stripped. And now we talk about surplus dollars. Yes. Um, and that's a, you know, that, that's been a huge improvement in now making mm -hmm. these guys have the question, because when it's unappropriated revenue, that says, well, it's money that obviously must be spent. When it's surplus, yep. now it's a different discussion. Do we spend it or do we give it back to the taxpayers? And sadly, for the last decade, they just decide to spend it. Yes. Um, but the mere fact that they're having to have this discussion um, is, is at least moving in the right direction. It reminds me of the 2014 elections for Comptroller. You had Harvey Hildebrand and Glenn Hager running, and Susan Combs right. had famously always been very conservative in her revenue estimates. I mm -hmm. think that's something that conservatives should be grateful for her, you know, to her for, and, right. and Hager has right. tried to, to follow in those footsteps to say, you know, I'm not going to assume that everything is going to happen exactly the way that the appropriators want it to happen, right? And so uh, when Harvey Hildebrand ran, he... I remember he was making some speech at like the Kerrville Republican Women or San Antonio or somewhere, and maybe it was the, the state convention for the runoff or something. Uh, well, it wasn't the runoff because Glenn won without a runoff. But Harvey said, um, you know, one of the his big talking points was, I am going to give you more accurate revenue projections, which the interpretation of that is higher revenue more projections. And then he money. said, so that we can provide more tax relief. And I just, I thought that that was one of the funniest lines I'd ever heard because right. it's like, Harvey, you've spent over a decade in the Texas House of Representatives and everyone knows, including you, that if the legislature has said, hey, now that you've passed the budget, there's $2 billion extra dollars there. They're not going right. to turn around and go, great, we could give that all back. Right. You could give them money after they pass the Appropriations Act. And I really don't think that the legislature would say, let's give that back. I think they'd go, special session. Let's yeah. come back right. because right. we just realized the there's unappropriated dollars. Yeah, I mean, that's, right. that's what it would be. So yeah. um, often taxpayers feel like 
they're not even the last people in line. They're just not in line. There are times where they should rightly feel like they're not in line. Um, and so if more money magically poofs because Harvey Hildebrand's elected comptroller, that's not coming to you. That just means that the universities or the public education institutions or the various state agencies that we have will just have another bite at the apple. Yeah. So, um, okay. So let's thank you for, for that background and all that. Uh, going back to your time in journalism really quickly, um, you spent some time as a reporter. You spent some time in what people would consider like a traditional media outlet. Right. Uh, journalism is very different today compared to what it was um, when you were um, back in the a journalist. 1830s. Yeah. I don't know when. Yeah, I'm just. Know, I can't yeah. remember a long time ago. Yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. but at that time, what are the shifts that you've seen within journalism, and uh, and and how do you? What are shifts that are maybe positive? if there are any, and then what shifts are more negative just for society as a whole, do you think? So I'll start with the negatives. I can end with the positive. I think on, on, on the negative side, we have seen, um, one, um, too many people enter journalism with a crusader mentality. Yep. Um, and, and that has been bad. It's been building. Yep. Um, but certainly over the last two decades, um, everyone in mainstream journalism, if you yep. will, uh, legacy journalism, establishment journalism, yep. have adopted this uh, this view that I am a journalist so I can be a crusader um, rather than I'm, in, I'm a journalist so that people understand what's going on. Um, you know, as a young newspaper reporter um, at the various newspapers, I can tell you, you know, half of all the newsrooms were actually stacked with people who, who either didn't go to college or didn't yep. graduate from college. Hmm. There are people who just you know, they were good. They were good writers. seventh grade level writers. Hmm. Yep. Who had insight into you know various things and uh, and, and 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 were faithful um, journalers of the day. Yep. Um, and you know today the you know that you're not going to get a job in legacy journalism unless you have a journalism degree from a J school um, in which you are taught to be a crusader. Yep. And, and that is incredibly, um, uh, incredibly damaging for the person, which is why, again, on the negative, we see fewer and fewer people um, reading local papers. Because mm -hmm. to me, these local papers have, they've adopted that we want to be Woodward and Bernstein mm. rather yep. than we want to tell you what's happening down the street. So yep. as a result today, you, know, you, you pick up almost any local newspaper and it's chunk full of either, you know, crap that's written locally mm -hmm. or in a lot of cases, AP, um, yep. wire stories that you read yesterday afternoon yep. on, you know, on your tablet, your phone, yep. you watch on the crawl of your TV, whatever it may be. Um, but you can't find anywhere what happened down the street with that police mm. car parked in front of my, yep. you know, in front of the, yep. the convenience store yep. all day, or you know, whatever it may be, um, you know, because you know, that's just not, you know, oh, that's just not sexy. You, mm -hmm. know, you know, the you know, the New York Times will never hire me um, to pontificate on MSNBC yep. um, if I'm writing about police cars sitting with their lights on in front of convenience stores all day. Um, you know, so that's the again, it's that kind of crusader. I want to be I want to be famous mentality in journalism. Thanks for negative on the on the positive side though. I think that what we see is the is the marketplace has you no know, rather than just you know going ahead and eating the junk junk food they've been given by the media. They're saying no, we don't want that anymore. And you're yep. seeing 
all these local newspapers, plunge in subscribership, uh, the number of people who, who you know, in, in real numbers mm-hmm. plunging, not just percentages yep. of you know, population, but in real numbers plunging. Yep. And, and I think it's great. You're seeing some of these, uh, some of these go out of business. You're yep. seeing them massive layoffs. And, you know, we're all, you know, we all get, you know, duly chastised. When we yep. say, you know, and I mean, I was duly chastised uh, <laughs> by various, you know, lefties. Oh, Michael Sullivan is, you know, singing, singing happily that the Dallas Morning News yep. laid people off. Absolutely I was. I'm going to double down on it because what that indicated was the market works, the yep. free market works. You yep. know, Pravda never laid off a single one of their writers mm. in the existence of the Soviet empire right up until the moment the Soviet empire collapsed. Mm. And yep. so they all, they all lost their jobs, right? They went to work for the New York Times, I guess. Um, but the um, uh, yeah, but in the marketplace, yep. when you're not delivering, the marketplace says yep. we're going to find something else to deliver. And so they're now today with technology again on the positive things. So many opportunities for journal journalers and chroniclers yep. and um, you know writers to to be looking at the news. Now, you can t- look at a city like Denison, Texas, a yep. town like Denison, Texas, at the turn of the, the 19th or 20th century, where if memory serves, there were four daily or at least five-day-a-week newspapers wow. in a town of five or 6,000 people. Wow. And most people subscribed to all of them. And all of those papers were, you know, every article was written from a from a point of view. And, and, yep. and, and you know, they proudly wore their biases on their sleeves, understanding. And it's, I mean, it's, it's why I read Mother Jones, yep. very leftist publication yep. vision. I read it because, you know, because because they're up front with their biases. Yes. I can I can get I, I know exactly yep. what really happened. Yep. You know, it's the it's the guys who try to play the game of oh I have no bias. Yes, you do. Everyone has a bias. I think the self righteous indignation that or, or you know tone that seems to be just permeating yeah. so many people in journalism today. It, it shows that kind of tone deafness to what people are asking. You know, and I've seen reporter after reporter after reporter in the last several months post all of these sob comments every time there's layoffs and encourage everybody to go out and say, hey, please subscribe to your paper. I saw one journalist here in Austin area who said, I subscribe to, and he lists, you know, eight different papers. I pay all of them and I'm subscribed to all of them. And you need to, too, if you want true and accurate journalism in Texas. And I have not seen one journalist roundtable of reporters in traditional media outlets saying, hey, why is everyone not paying for our content that used to pay for our content? Right. There's not been one, so, so there's not an honest question to say, hey, maybe there's something wrong with what we're giving them. It's just the fact that people don't realize, you don't realize you need us, yeah. right? If, if, if they were delivering content that people wanted to read, People would pay for it. Yep. In, instead, you know, people don't want to pay for content they don't want to read. Yep. It's, it's fairly simple. I have yet to buy a book I didn't want to read. Yep. Yep. I mean, if you're, if um, you know, your boyfriend or girlfriend uh, seem to be losing interest in you, you know, the right approach is, uh, and this is relationship advice from Luke, which is very quality <laughs> advice. Uh, but the right approach is not to go to them and say, "Why don't you like me anymore? I'm a great person." It's to try to figure out what am I mistreating this person? Right. Am I not showing them love, care, compassion? You know, and and how how do I love this person better? How do I if I love this if I do love this person? How do I care for them? How do they, you know? And uh, I, I that might be horrible analogy to what's going on to Jerusalem no, right no, now, but it's no, the no, idea no, like no, it's they're not asking right. themselves that question. Yeah, they're yeah. they're like. We're awesome. Why do people right. not recognize it? And 
it's people's fault that they're not finding our content completely yeah, the, you know, how, how, how dare they, they not want to pay me to be a crusader to give for my causes opinion. that they don't That's believe right. in? That's right. How dare they not pay yeah. me to tell them what they're supposed to believe? Right. And I mean, as a kid growing up um, in, in North Texas, at various points we lived in North Texas, um, uh, you know, we would subscribe to both the Dallas Morning News and the Dallas Times Herald, yep. and sometimes even throw in the Fort Star Telegram, depending on which part of kind of the yep. you know, metroplex region we were living in at the time, as well as then whatever local paper there was. Mm-hmm. Um, just for that reason, because you, know, you kind of you wanted a mix of, of information today. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, all you get is kind of a you know, a unified self righteousness coming yep. out of the, out of the press, which just isn't attractive. So we are in a legislative session right now. And we have less than 90 days to go before the end, um, which is good uh, because they'll be able to stop growing government, which seems to be greatly expanding at different times uh, across our nation, local, state, federal, whatever. But when it comes to this legislative session, we've got Republican control, the Texas House, the Texas Senate, every single statewide. So what are some of the expectations? And y'all have been doing a lot of writing about this, which I think just to remind everybody, you can go to texasscorecard.com just to read about some of the information that Empower Texans uh, is putting out. But I think that y'all have been providing a lot of guidance and vision for the legislature on things that they could be accomplishing that Texans want and the matter for 2020 elections. I'll talk about the 2020 elections here shortly. But when we talk about the legislative session, Michael, what are some of the expectations that people should have coming out of the session? What are some of the things they should hope are accomplished? And they could potentially feel proud about if they are accomplished. I mean, I, so I'll I'll note philosophically. I I have increasingly rejected the division between legislative sessions and election seasons. Okay. Yep. Um, because what what we should expect lawmakers to deliver on in 2019 mm-hmm. are the things that they promised us they would do in 2018. Um, if if someone comes to me. Um, wanting a job and says, you know, Michael, if you hire me, I am going to do X, Y, and Z for your organization. I kind of expect that they're going to do X, Y, and Z. Yep. The, the, the person who seeks a job and says, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, but then doesn't deliver X, Y, and Z, they don't get paid for very long. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I fire them. Yep. That's not personal. Yep. Look, my, my organization needed X, Y, and Z done. You yep. said you would do X, Y, and Z. If you're not delivering X, Y, and Z, then I just need to find someone else who can do it. Mm-hmm. You know, And maybe you can convince me of why one, two, and three are a, are a better deal. Well, let's have that discussion. Yep. Um, but, but so when we're looking at the 2019 legislative session, the number one thing we should, we should be asking is, are you doing what you promised? Are you doing what you said you would do? Are you delivering on the things that you and I agreed in that um, you know, somewhat mystical um, you know, uh, yep. relationship we're into on the first Tuesday in November? You said you were going to do these things, yep. and I said... Great, I'm hiring you to do yep. those things. Yep. Um, but but inevitably, what seems to happen, and what we've what we as citizens tolerate, and it's yep. our fault. Let's remember, yep. it's, it's our fault. You know, we can yep. blame the legislators, but it's our fault. Um, and when we're not holding them accountable, it's our fault. Um, you know, where where the legislators come and they will give us the the campaign talk, mm-hmm. um, but then they but then you know, boom, they get sworn into the legislative session, and now it's governing. Mm-hmm. Uh, governing stuff that they do, yep. and they pretend like they're, they're, we, you and I should not tolerate that. There yep. should never be a difference between what they say and they do, and that's and that's indeed where I think that um, where we have um, uh, developed our uh, 
the, uh, the, the love-hate relationship yeah. or the hate-hate relationship or whatever it is um, that um, a lot of elected officials have forces because you know, for, for us, we what, what, what we do to empower Texans, what our news product, mm-hmm. Texas Scorecard, tends to do a lot of is, is looking at that, at that delta between yeah. what is said and what's done, looking at the, at the amount of sunlight between what a politician campaigns on doing yep. and what they actually do. So yep. in this 2019 legislative session, you know, these guys should be delivering on property tax relief, yep. uh, where you actually see a smaller property tax bill. They should yep. be delivering on property tax reform. Um, where the where the system is more fair, um, you, know, you can go down the line. There are all sorts of very practical things that that the lawmakers should be doing. But the first thing, you as the listener and I as yep. the all of us as voters should do is kind of take a take you know take a think back to what what they promised us just a year ago yep. that they would be doing less than a year ago yep. what they would be doing. And if they're not doing that, we need to start firing them. Yep, yep, absolutely. Um, so. 2018, uh, you know, you and I have talked about the 2018 elections. Uh, last week, I talked about the 2018 elections and some of the numbers that came out that showed that nine of the Republican state house seats that are currently held by Republicans in the legislature were uh, districts actually won by Beto O'Rourke, and three mm-hmm. of the state senate districts—Pete Flores, Joan Huffman, Angela Paxton—were all won by Beto O'Rourke. The the Pete Flores seat, which is up in 2020, I think was won by Beto by 15 percentage points. I mean, that's a major uh, gap between, you know, the D and the R at the top of the ticket in a district that could potentially go Democrat in 2020 and conservatives need to be engaged for. So going into the 2020 elections, there's concern about that, right? And uh, unfortunately, I think that has a lot of legislators potentially concerned about the legislative session, right? Mm-hmm. Because it should. As yeah, it should. yeah. And, uh, and I, I think Republicans always seem to, if they are not sure the elections are going to go their way, tend to not want to accomplish the policy directives that they've they've campaigned on. I think Democrats... It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy for them because you know, the Democrats can say, hey, you know, your guy promised property tax relief. Did he deliver? And he didn't. And he yeah. didn't deliver. And so, it's, you know, so, so now, let's, well, let's, let's, you know, vote the bum yep. out because trust us, Democrats will do better on tax yeah. relief than Republicans <laughs> will. Yeah, right. You know. No, uh, no, you're absolutely right. So going into the 2020 elections, what are some of your concerns and I think the broader conservatives' concerns on the environment in our state and what we should be doing. So um, a, a lot of the exit polling and yep. survey work that I've seen since the November yep. election yep. is that voters um, voters in Texas, yep. by and large, have not rejected conservative philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're pro-life, pro-family. They want uh, you know, small. They want government out of their businesses, out yep. of their lives as much as as much as reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they they want to keep more of what they earn. Yep. Uh, they want to make sure that jobs are more accessible. All those yep. you know, all the all the right things. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, but yet they voted for Beto. Mm-hmm. You know, and you, know, you talk to people. I talk to people at church. Talk to people at you know, my you know, family's churches yep. and things. Who you know strong Christians, pro-life, who voted for Beto. And mm-hmm. the, this disconnect, and what a lot of them say is, well, the Republicans aren't delivering, so why not the guy who looks cool yeah. on a skateboard? You know, yep. and I think that's the that is the 2019 and 2020 challenge that Republicans yep. have, is that is that voters are getting tired of, you know, oh, trust us, if you reelect us, next time we'll do it. Yep. There was a um, there was a campaign um, this past fall in 2018, um, and I'll. I, I won't out the candidates, but I'll yep. just note that this candidate 
um, who was an incumbent who lost, had a mailer that said, oh, we need to reelect our Republican incumbent because the Republican incumbent is going to be fighting for property tax relief. And that was absolutely true. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely why we all wanted the Republican incumbent to win. But to the discerning voter, the the 85% of Texans who vote who don't participate as Republicans or Democrats. Mm-hmm. They are just human beings who register to vote and they yep. remember to show up and they have jobs, they pay their bills over the kitchen table. You know, they, you know, they're, you know, they're just human beings yep. who are trying to do right by, them, by, by their families, right? Um, they get that piece of mail and they think, uh, haven't you guys run state government for 20 years yeah. now? Yep. And, and why are you still trying to do this? Why haven't you done it? And we've moved on to something else. Yeah. Um, and and I think that's where Repub- where the disconnect comes in with yeah. again the you know, look, you know, a lot of these numbers show Republican voters turned out, you know, and and the Democrats turned out their voters. It's just that that again that 85 percent mill went, yeah, maybe we'll maybe the you know, maybe the Democrats will be mm-hmm. honest, you know. And and that's the challenge for the Republican majority is to deliver on things yep. that people can can practically sink their teeth into and say, ah, well, thank goodness we've got the Republicans because you know, the Democrats wouldn't have done this and the Republicans did. Yep. And so there's a clear distinction. And, uh, and I think James Dickey said that on our, our podcast, what, mm-hmm. four weeks ago, he said the same thing saying, you know, there are certain things you do because you don't want them to be able to use it against you. So school finance is a good example where, okay, if Texans generally think school finance needs to be reformed, you want to address that to an extent because you don't want Democrats to be able to say they refuse to address school finance, which we know has been getting addressed for decades upon decades upon decades. You so you set your clock by doing school finance. So you yeah. do it so that they don't have it against you. But then you also should try to do something that you could actually say we accomplished and this would not be accomplished without Democrats. I think it'd be unfortunate if people's takeaway from the 2018 elections are, hey, here are the things that the Democrats that picked up suburban seats ran on. Right. So let's uh, try to basically push that agenda this session and then hope that people say, hey, we gave you what you wanted because you elected these Democrats in these suburban districts. Ask President Mitt Romney how it works out when you when you when you try to play cute games. Mm-hmm. You know, ask President former President John McCain hmm. how it works out. At, you know, the the political landscape is littered with Republicans who think that well, if I just moderate a little bit, if I just try to try to appeal and appease the left, you know, it's it, it attempting to appease a hungry crocodile doesn't work. You will be eaten. Uh, with individuals, right, take the legislator, with the individual conservative Texan listening in here, um, as they look at 2020, and, and I know I remember you talking about this at your, you know, gala, um, y'all's gala last, at the end of last year, um, the importance of us engaging is still very real. So we can talk about the legislature, but the truth is, I mean, Nancy Pelosi did indeed this week say that Texas is a target of Democrats in 2020. We know that whether it's Beto O'Rourke or Julian Castro or whoever else gets the Democrat nomination, they're going to be looking to try to get Beto or Julian on their ticket Mm -hmm. to try to drive up uh, turnout. One corner talked this week about the fact that Julian or Beto could, if they don't succeed in the presidential nomination, drop out before December and run as a U.S. Senate candidate against Cornyn. And then you'll have... A lot of firepower. Um, I think there was an article just a couple days ago about the fact that two years ago, 
it was hard to find a candidate to run for governor. Right. And this year you have four or five candidates all talking about running. MJ Hager, Joseph Kopser, Wendy Davis, Joaquin Castro, all talking about their potential U.S. Senate run because they all see the momentum. So that is very real, So is, is it not? Yeah, so, you know, look, we have a 1,000 people a day moving to Texas from, from some other state, yeah. usually from some square state you've never heard of and you'll never visit. Um, the challenge that politically engaged conservatives have in 2020 is, you know, Republicans have for the past two decades believed our own bluster. Oh, Texas is a red state, never mind the fact that it was a blue state just, you know, 25 years mm-hmm. ago. Now, Texas is always going to be a red state. We're mm-hmm. a Republican state. You know, Republicans don't have to do anything and win because we're conservative. And you know, yes, we are conservative. Again, yeah. all the polling shows Texans are yeah. still very conservative. But are we always Republican? And and what we've done the past more than a decade is, you know, we you know it, it's been great for the Texas for a Texas Republicans. Um, ego that we put together the mighty Texas strike force yep. that we send out you know hundreds nay thousands of our best um, grassroots activists and we send them to those square states yep. that people are fleeing yep. we send them to the square states to go knock on doors for candidates who aren't on any of our ballots and yep. all that kind of stuff it might be worthwhile if maybe in 2020 the Republican party said kind of like William Travis you know we we need to defend where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what we know from history is that no one came to Travis's aid. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to happen again. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone is coming to Texas's aid in 2020. Yep. We have to defend Texas. And that rather than sending our mighty Texas strike forces out to, you know, one of the 57 other states mm-hmm. or whatever it is, um, we maybe need to send our mighty Texas strike force um, into the suburbs, you yep. know, into these, you know, subdivisions that seem to pop up, you mm-hmm. know, overnight, you know, yep. in Denton County and, in, yep. you know, Tarrant County and in Parker County, yep. and, you know, and send them down into South Texas, send mm-hmm. them into all these places where, you know, we, we actually have people who believe what we believe. We're just not knocking on their doors. We're just not interacting with them. Um, you know, we will never, hopefully, um, uh, have the opportunity to buy off um, people the way the Democrats do. The Democrats succeed in buying people off. We succeed when we connect with people, with their values, with their principles, um, with their aspirations. Um, but the only way you can practically do that is knocking on their door and having a conversation with them. Um, you know, when you look at the you know at the Hispanic majority. Yep. in Texas, which I, I, I'm of the opinion the demogra- uh, demographers are a little off. I think we've now reached the Hispanic majority. And a lot of our Republican friends, I say to mm-hmm. you know, a guy in the last name Macias, um, oh, oh no, mm-hmm. these Hispanics, they're all Democrats. Well, one, they're not. Hispanics register to yep. vote in much lower numbers than Anglos and African Americans. The ones who don't register to vote but who are legally eligible tend to be very strongly with mm-hmm. Republicans and have very conservative ideas. They're just not being talked to. Yep. They're not being engaged with. But that's the kind of acti- activity you have to start now, not you know, you know, not six weeks before an election, sending a mailer yep. that you Google Translate into Spanish, yep. Yep. Know, to a home whose family's last name ends in EZ. Yeah, you know, and, yep. and you know, we have to start doing a much better job of engaging with folks, and again, doing that personally and directly, mm-hmm. and starting it now. Yeah, um, I. I am long-term optimistic about the about the future of conservatives mm-hmm. in Texas. 
um, because of the Hispanic vote. Yep. Um, I am short-term pessimistic only because I see too many Republicans and too many conservatives um, not wanting to do the hard work of engaging down the street. Yep. You know, they would really rather go to Iowa, go to Idaho, mm -hmm. go to wherever and knock on doors than to go to that new subdivision on the other side of the highway mm -hmm. and knock doors there. Yeah. Um, and, and until we get over that hump, I think 2020 is going to be a difficult year. If we can get over that hump, if we can have folks starting mm -hmm. to engage like that, meanwhile, having the legislature um, voting on things that people can be excited mm -hmm. to be for, 2020 is probably going to work out okay. So I want to, the last topic I would uh, like to hit on with you, and I appreciate your time, um, is the Texas Ethics Commission. So this is... The Unethics Commission. The Texas Unethics Commission. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. So uh, <laughs> the TUC. It's kind of like the PUC there with a T. And so um, uh, the, I, you know, this kind of gets uh, to me and frustrates me because I hear constantly all around the state, especially in that Capitol building, so much misinformation on Empower Texans' original dispute with the TEC, where that has gone, and how their own understanding of their unconstitutional behavior has already borne itself out in their actions. So if you could give the listeners, I don't think, I would honestly say that a lot of the listeners are not familiar with the background and, and where that battle started. I think it's a pretty important battle. Um, and I think y'all recognize that very early on before other people would have seen it. So where did this conflict start with Michael Sullivan and the Texas Ethics Commission or Empower Texans with the Texas Ethics Commission, right? Uh, either or. And then uh, where are we currently today? So um, it's important to recognize the Texas Ethics Commission was established in the early 90s when we were a deeply blue state, but that out, but where the Democrats running the state at the time recognized that they weren't going to be a blue state for very long, that Republicans were ascendant. Republicans had now won the presidency, 76, 80, 84, you know, Texas yep. had been delivering presidency. Were, um, despite their best gerrymandering efforts, Republicans mm -hmm. were producing Republican members of Congress, yep. beginning to uh, produce more Republican state senators. Again, yep. kind of know the population's hard to gerrymander around. Yep. Um, and, and so they implemented the... Texas Ethics Commission. The constitutional reason for the TEC's existence, this is important, in the state constitution, they're placed as a legislative agency mm -hmm. and they are tasked constitutionally. This is what voters adopted in the yep. early 90s, was an agency that would set the per diem, you know, the amount of money mm -hmm. paid per day for legislators and, and other state yep. employees and recommend from time to time salary adjustments for uh, the legislature, Got it. Um, that, that was the reason they were voted on, okay? Purely was those two, you know, arcane, simple function people voted for them. Yep. Almost immediately then, the Democrats started piling legislatively onto the TEC, um, all these things to, to start going after politicians, to go after particularly challengers, mm -hmm. uh, and to go after outsiders. They didn't start doing the outsider thing until, until later. Uh, but the TEC... Um, unconstitutionally now operates as this weird hybrid of a legislative, executive, and judicial agency hmm. where they will uh, they, they make rules that have the force of law, they execute those rules, 
um, and then they they sit in judgment over people who they say may or may not have violated. I mean, mm-hmm. so it's a, it is an unconstitutional construct under the state constitution. Um, that they have long been pawns of whoever's in charge. Yeah, because of course, I mean, they're a legislative agency. Yep, and they're appointed by various, you know, they're some by one. Yeah, well, they're ultimately all appointed by the legislature. Yep, because even the governor and lieutenant governor who get appointments, their appointments can only come from lists provided by the by legislature. The legislature. Yep. you know, so it's a, you know, it's it's, it's a goof, and, and then there's no confirmation of these appointments. I mean, the whole thing is just goofy. Um, the, um, uh, but, but they've existed, um, you know, by and large for a long time, just going after candidates. Mm -hmm. So if you, you know, if Luke Macias is challenging an incumbent, they start looking real carefully at Luke Macias's campaign signs, Mm -hmm. how big was the font. Um, you see a lot of those in the early years, uh, going after you for paperwork violations, Mm -hmm. but but now your opponent gets to say, ah, he's under investigation by the ethics commission. Now, never mind the fact that you're under investigation because you used a 12 point font instead of a 14 point font, or that you're under investigation because you're, you turned in your paperwork at at 505 rather than 459, Mm -hmm. you know, all those kind of things that's not, had nothing to do with ethics. Yep. It's a paperwork violation. Yep. Um, yeah, but that now became the rhetorical use of the entity. Um, where we uh, got you know, started in was um, in 2012, two incumbent state lawmakers, uh, Jim Keffer and Vicki Truitt, neither of whom are in the legislature anymore, <laughs> um, they filed pretty frivolous complaints against me and against the organization claiming somehow Empower Texans, which has long had a political action committee, was itself a political action committee. Um, what they wanted was to see the names of our donors, why they wanted to name the donors. Yep. They wanted to see the name of the donors. Same reason the state of Alabama wanted to see the donors of the NAACP. Mm-hmm. That way they could go in and threaten them and yep. attack them and use their power. Yep. You saw State Representative Byron Cook uh, use his office as, a, as chairman of the State Affairs Committee at about the same time. Uh, to go after the Texas Public Policy Foundation, calling yep. donors to their policy orientation mm-hmm. and other things, um, you know, kind of, you know, kind of this heavy-handed kind of stuff. Um, so they wanted to get the names of our donors. Yeah, uh, we told them to pound sand. Uh, they said that I was a lobbyist yep. because I wrote about the legislature. Mm-hmm. So writing about the legislature made me a lobbyist. Um, and despite all the evidence contrary, and I mean, the, the whole case is just a complete joke. Everything yes. about it was a joke. At literally at one point in a closed door hearing, uh, they asked if I would just write them, if, if I would write them, um, a $500 check, we could make it all go away. Yep. Um, I was actually confused. Did he want me to make it out to each one of them personally or to the <laughs> agency? Uh, as you might imagine, they didn't take that as funny as you just did. Um, but, but that's the way the agencies operated, yep. this kind of, you know, oh, just pay us off and go in. And you see a lot of legislators over the mm-hmm. years do that, who they want to sneak in through the back door, have the closed door hearing, write a check, and just make it go away. Yep. And and the TC's been fine with that, with the legislators, because uh, that, that gives them money in off the books from, mm-hmm. the, you know, from, the, from the state coffers. Um, then they put out some mealy-mouthed statements saying, oh, you know, we all agreed, nobody did anything wrong, but they wrote us a check anyway. Um, and with the legislators, it's someone else's money anyway because they can pay for it out of campaign funds. The absolute funniest um, example of this 
Senator Jim Keffer, one of the guys yep. who filed a complaint against us, um, he was investigated by the TEC in a very rare investigation of an incumbent for having accepted an illegal contribution. Uh, he accepted a corporate contribution, which Got lawmakers it. can't take. Yep. Um, over the course of you know the couple of years protracted look at this, what the TEC ended up doing was they ended up fining not Jim Keffer, they fined the guy who wrote the check who said, I didn't know. He didn't tell me. His campaign didn't tell me. I wrote him a check. So this guy wrote a check. I was check. trying to help him. He then got fined. Um, uh, meanwhile, Jim Keffer never, never had to give the money back. Oh <laughs> it's just a complete and utter insane. And, and no one ever complained to file yep. a complaint against that guy. They complained, you know, was complaining against Jim Keffer. So uh, the complaints against us, um, they had a you know, this kangaroo court hearing um, in which they fined they find me. They, they were never quite sure if the complaints were singular or plural, it, the, the, because the whole thing is done as a publicity stunt yep. by Jim Keffer and Vicky yep. Truitt. Um, uh, the TEC uh, wanted to have the opportunity to use the case against me. They they thought yep. I was going to play the game everyone else plays: walk in quietly, write the five hundred dollar check, and walk away. Now they maybe have precedent. To each of them. And maybe even to each of them. And now they have precedent that says, oh, the TEC can That's right. go after private individuals, can go after people who write, go after organizations. Yeah. Um, we decided to fight back. And, uh, and so your your position was you do not have the authority to accuse me of this. Right. Your accusation is false. The accusation's false. And, and you don't and have, you the, have authority. the authority to address the false accusation. Right. And so yep. the uh, but uh, so we've now been in court with them for goodness we're we're going on eight years yep um, uh, fighting this fighting this battle with them and we've been winning and that's been the yep. been the fun thing to watch uh, I, uh, as we were heading into uh, one court hearing on the Empower Texans stuff um, the TEC faced with the fact that the court was about to uh, mm -hmm. rule against them they just dropped the they dropped those just yep. poof no no explanations dropped them. Um, unfortunately with my stuff, we have them on, on the run because, um, because they're coming to me as individuals. So we're, yep. so I'm actually pursuing them now. Um, and, uh, we're, we're going after them on a number of cases. Number one, they're unconstitutional agency. Yep. Um, they're, they're doing things they're not supposed to be doing, which, um, actually at the state Capitol, um, here in the past week, their general counsel admitted under oath. Yep. Um, that, oh, yeah, we're we, we're doing all sorts of stuff, you know, kind of thing. Um, that's going to be used against them, obviously. Um, and, and and the point of this is not because we don't think there should be um, transparency in government. It's the yep. idea that the transparency government should be focused on government, um, that it is it, – it, 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 it beggars belief that you've got an agency of government that we mm -hmm. use government to go after citizens – for speaking, citizens for writing, citizens for you know using our freedom of speech and freedom of press, um, freedom to assemble, um, they will go after us. Meanwhile, they will let uh, lobbyists wine and dine with never mentioning names, all this kind yeah. of stuff that they do. Um, it's, it, it's, it's a racket and one that needs to be exposed. Um, we would argue that ultimately legislators need to do a lot more reporting and the focus mm -hmm. of any successor agency to the Texas Ethics Commission now should be focused on the legislators and making sure that they're not um, profiteering, make sure they're not um, benefiting off of their service to the people of Texas. Can you tell our listeners what the current status of your 
court case against the ethics commission is where where is it currently yeah, and I'm, I'm assuming we're yeah. still a ways away from i mean just the nature of yeah so uh, it's um, um most of the stuff is in, uh, sitting in front of the court of appeals uh, third court of appeals okay um, there i think there might be something heading to the state supreme court it's it. uh, it's all gotten rather yes, uh, rather but complicated. it's all going through that process and it's all, in, and, 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 and it's all us on the on the offensive. offensive yeah um, which is why they can't drop it yeah, the, yeah, they, they, yeah, and they can't drop it, and, that, and that's the fun thing. It, if they could, I think that they would, but yep. we're not going to let them yep. because um, you know the the, the thing that um, that has propelled me and propelled yep. all of us through this has been, um, you know, thank God they came after us mm-hmm. because um, you know I, I I suffer from a particular deficiency that I'm really only happy when I'm being attacked. I think, <laughs> um, and and we have you know, suitable resources yep. to have this kind of fight. If they had gone after, you know, some small Tea Party group, Republican Women's yep. Club, whatever it might be, um, th- this would have been a different story for yep. those folks and a different story for the state of Texas. Um, we absolutely believe that um, that it's critical that, uh, that we fight this fight so that future Texans... Um, are able to engage their government the way our system government demands. Our yeah. system government is not one that's a wind it up and let it go kind of a deistic yeah. view of yeah. you know of God. It's a yeah. you know we have to be actively engaged the way God is actively engaged in our lives. We have to be actively engaged in our government. We are, we are the rulers, not the legislators. We're the ones who are supposed to be in charge, not the legislators. I, but the only way that happens for us to be able to actually be engaged without threat of you know some crony establishment agency pinging you because a chairman of a house committee didn't like what you wrote about him on your Facebook page. We, um, I think I mentioned this to you at at one point when I was thinking through this, or maybe it was somebody else on your staff or whatever, but we, you know, I was thinking about the Jack Roberts case because some more information came out about that. I I heard it just yesterday, I think, but um, Jack Roberts is the cake baker in Colorado who was um, accused of um, not accommodating somebody's wishes to use his artistic talents to celebrate their gay wedding. And he said, as a Christian, that's not something that I can do. And so, of course, he was fined and the Colorado, whatever, the ethics commission or whatever commission they have, um, we'll call it the the CUC, the Colorado Unethics Commission. But uh, but they uh, fined him and that went all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court ruled that definite discrimination against his religious views was practiced by the the Colorado Unethics Commission. And so I really don't know the name of it, but we'll just give it that name because I don't know the name of it. But they, they, you know, the ruling was narrow in the idea that they they basically said, in this instance, it's undeniable that his Christian faith was discriminated against. What they did not do was say any and all, you know, laws that, uh, potentially prohibit Christians from practicing their faith are unconstitutional. So it wasn't a sweeping deal. It was in this instance. And so, of course, the far left uh, decide, hey, let's let's keep testing this guy. So within a week or two of that case, you have a transgender individual go to that cake shop. And by the way, you want to talk about targeting, right? I mean, you being made the target of a certain group. And so, and I know there were reports of Satanists sending him in cakes and all sorts of other people sending him in cakes. Just, we're going to make you bow down to our belief system, Mm -hmm. right? So this transgender person goes, I want you to create a, design a cake that is a one-year celebration of my gender transition. And he said he couldn't. 
And there are so many inappropriate jokes also going uh, about, about what that cake design could be it, going through my head right now. And I am I mean, self-censoring in ways that are making it, me sweat. It's amazing, yeah. you know, where our, our culture has gone. It's so, well, it's, it, it's a, it's a slavery culture that we're adopting. And yeah. I think that's the, what was so disappointing, um, in the original ruling, you know, the, in yeah. this instance ruling yeah. of the Supreme court, because it's not an, in this instance, yes. what, what the left is saying is that we have a right to your labor, yeah, and that and that you must produce something that doesn't currently exist. Mm-hmm. You must produce that for us. It is no different than the guy with the whip standing over, you know, the slave saying, "You will pick up that rock and you will put it on that, you mm-hmm. know, on that pile of rocks, or I will kill you." I mean, you know, we're we're you know, it's it you know it. it it sounds extreme for the oh, we're talking about a guy baking. Yeah, because he could have been baking a different cake. Yep. He could have been doing something else. No man has the has the right to compel another free. No free man has the right to compel another free man um, to you know, to do something. Yeah. Now, you know, can you stop him from stop him from doing a thing? Well, that's a different story. That's and, maybe different. And, but, but in this case, no, it's, it, it is slavery. That's where, where we're leading to. And, this and part it's of- sad that the Supreme Court chose to take. Um, the in this instance, yep. rather than than make a stronger case for for freedom and for so, liberty. So uh, definitely, where this conversation went is a testimony to you, you and I's uh, ADD and <laughs> our ability to get off on the track. But because my original point was the idea that in that transgender situation, the uh, you know they went into court and he sued them and they sued him and they fined him and and it just was dropped. The whole right. situation was dropped. But but uh, there's goods and bad you know, a good part and a bad part. The good part is that the Colorado, the state of Colorado essentially admitted, okay, fine, crap, we don't have anything against this guy again, right? And they know that the Supreme Court would rule the same thing. In fact, I think the Supreme Court would say, what the hell? Like, why, right, why are that, you back here again? Yeah. But but that being said, the bad part is that going back to the TEC, you know, what what he did when he dropped his suit, and again, I'm, I do not fault Jack Roberts because no, no, this right. guy has taken on, I mean, he has been the tip of the spear when it comes to this war, and I'm very grateful for him. I don't know him, but Jack, if you're listening, I'm grateful for you. So is that, hey, we know we're in the wrong, so we're just going to act like this didn't happen so that we can all go back to it, and they still have the power to continue to try to use that that bully pulpit they have, the heavy hand of government against the citizenry and the TEC I think did the same thing, correct me if I'm wrong, but when they're there before the third court of appeals uh, in in the specific case against Empower Texans trying to say, yeah, we have the right to get a list of every single person that's donated to them and make that list available so that people can start targeting these individuals and all of that, they know they don't have the right to do that, but they're going to act like they do. They're going to spread rumors all around the Capitol that y'all are violating state law and you're lobbying, et cetera, et cetera. And then guess what? Quietly, they're just going to say, Oh crap! Well, we know that the court's not going to rule in our favor, and that would really hurt us. So, after making this person spend all their money, and we've spent all the taxpayers' money, and we've asked the legislature for more taxpayer money so we can hire outside law firms to take this whole process through this battle all the way down, we're just going to act like this never happened, because then the court cannot reprimand us for our unconstitutional requests of this person, and. 
that's where I think Texans should be even more grateful to y'all for taking this action. Because if you had just said, oh, you'll drop it, we'll drop it, we'll move on, what would what would be the current situation? The TEC would be backbolding somebody else right now, right? right? Yeah. And they would take them up to the Court of Appeals and then drop it and take them. Because and, 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 they can do that. It's not their money they're spending. They're using our money to bully us, to take us as far as we can personally financially go to then drop it and go back to getting more of our money and going through the same process again. Well, look, and you, and you saw this with um, uh, the, the other reason <laughs> you should yep. never just go along with the nice, quiet, let's all make it all make it go yep. away thing. Uh, Ken Paxton, our uh, Texas attorney general in his campaign now five years ago, yep. and um, one of the s- similar characters with my, yeah. my case, uh, Byron Cook, yep. um, who's latched in with Keffer and yep. all them. Um, uh, Byron Cook, also not a state rep anymore, um, he um, filed this frivolous complaint, and Paxton um, went ahead and signed off with the state agency. His, his advisors came, oh, let's just make it go away. Sign, you know, let's yep. just make it go away. Well, that now became the evidence to be used. To get, well, see, he, he entered into this yes. let, let's make it go away agreement with the state agency. So now you've got special prosecutors yep. you know, kind of leading a, a completely frivolous, nonsensical charge against him. Yep. Um, th- that's what we wanted to avoid. Mm-hmm. That you know, if you when when you start playing those games, you, you might get lucky, mm-hmm. and the TEC will leave you alone, or the Travis County DA or the you know, whoever else yep. may start coming after you. Yep. Um, and and again, we're you know, Ken, Ken Paxson's a big boy; he can take care of himself. I'm a big yep. boy; I take care of myself. Uh, but there are um, there are a lot of people who who really just want to be able to post on their Facebook page. Yep. Um, about what they think about what their lawmaker's mm-hmm. doing. Yep. There are a lot of people who want to be able to have a conversation after church about what they think the church should be doing. And it's not right that they should be bullied and threatened into, into silence. Because that, that is where the TEC is going. That's where a lot of our legislators yep. would like to see the TEC go. Yep. And it's up to each one of us to say, no, the First Amendment still matters. On that note, Michael, I cannot tell you how grateful I am that you've been willing to sit down and talk to us today. Um, are there any final words you have for Texans listening about the importance of them engaging in the in their state, in the legislative process, in their local governments, in their county governments, and and you know just engaging more all across the spectrum when it comes to their government in Texas? Um, our system of government. Uh, only works when the people are engaged. I think that a lot of us look to the preamble of the U.S. Constitution and those first three words as some sort of kind of, you know, throwaway poetry. I think it's what our founding fathers actually intended, though, was that we, the people, are supposed to be engaged. We must be engaged. We must be every day. Uh, Andrew Jackson said, you know, must be eternally vigilant, not just in the federal government, but in your states. The threats to liberty are, are pervasive and pernicious. Yeah. And the only thing that defends our liberty is our every one of us being willing to stand on the wall and guard it. And we only stand on the wall and guard liberty in our country by being engaged. Michael, thank you for your time. Thanks, Luke. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to that conversation. I think it was very impactful and, and and matters to those of us who are trying to engage in the battle here in the Lone Star State. Michael Sullivan is undoubtedly one of the biggest leaders within the movement of conservatives in, in our state and somebody who we should all listen to when it comes to what's going on. Um, so... Uh, Guys, thank you so much for supporting the podcast so far. We are in episode seven 
of the start. And since it's begun, I couldn't be more proud about just the type of impact we've been able to have on the conversations in the Lone Star State. I want to encourage you to do just a quick a couple quick things. So uh, we need ratings and reviews on the podcast. Those help us continue to grow. They help get our content in front of more Texans. And so if you could just take a couple minutes to rate it on whatever format you're listening to it on. Um, if you have Apple Podcasts, that is kind of the preferred format. So if you can go there and rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, that would be really appreciated. But if you're on YouTube, subscribe to our YouTube channel, write a review, any of the other podcast platforms, review the podcast, subscribe. It'll get our content to you. We're doing once a week. Again, we have an interview one week and then a quick news update the following week. We want to give you enough information uh, on the most important things facing Texas because I don't think a lot of people are as engaged in the state level issues as they could be. And so if you'd be willing to do any and all of those actions, uh, reviewing the podcast, rating the podcast, subscribing to the podcast, that would be really uh, helpful to us. Raz was not able to join us today. Uh, technology being what it is, his internet was having problems. So I am flying solo today, but very grateful for those of you who took time to listen to this conversation. And uh, again, please share the podcast with people you know, um, take those actions. And then also you can can follow me on Twitter at Luke Macias TX. You can get on Facebook and look up Luke Macias, like the page, share the videos we share once a week that can get our podcast in front of more people. Guys, we've got to start building an army of educated, informed individuals ready to do battle for the Lone Star State. And I am very grateful for each and every one of you who are part of that team. Thank you so much, guys. God bless you. Thank you for listening to The Luke Messias Show. If you value this content and want our message to spread, please consider three of the following steps. One, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on and leave us a review. Two, visit LukeMessias.com and sign up for our email alerts. And three, follow Raz and I on Twitter and visit my Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Luke Messias Texas. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Thank you so much and God bless.